0: Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church, located in Newberry, Florida, where Rocky McKinley is our lead pastor. Thanks for tuning in. Here's today's message. Today, we are going to finish this series, Getting Past the Past. And so that I can get to today's message, I want to go ahead really quick and just review where we've been as we close out this series. The first week, I spoke about getting past your past. We open God's word to Jeremiah chapter 18 where God gives the prophet a vision of the potter's house. And I share with you three aspects of the the pot that the potter was making. First of all, there was the made vessel, there was the marred vessel, and there was the mended vessel. And no matter what you have been through, it's important that you stay on the potter's will. God is our potter, and you stay on the potter's will because God is making you into the vessel that he wants you to be. The second week, we focus on the consequences of your past. You know, when we accept Christ as our Savior, our sins are eternally forgiven and forgotten. We should praise God for that, that when we accept Christ, our sins are eternally forgiven and forgotten. But unfortunately we are not immediately free from the consequences of our sins here on earth. The law of sowing and reaping still applies to good decisions and to bad decisions. And I told you there are steps that you must take that you, in order to deal with the consequences of your past mistakes. First of all, You need to humble yourself. God exalts those that humble themselves. And so if you want favor from God of getting past what you've done and getting past the consequences of your mistakes, then humble yourself. And then as he told the woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. So humility will help bring about healing in your life. And and then you go and you sin no more. And and you don't don't go through life entitled. You don't go through life expecting. But when God begins to pour out grace mercy on your life then you just freely receive it amen amen and last week I spoke to you about getting past their past when someone has done you wrong or someone has offended you and I told you that undealt with hurt and pain from the past will paralyze your future And, and Peter asked Jesus about forgiveness in Matthew chapter 18 and Peter thought that he had this thing figured out And and, and Jesus just raises the bar on forgiveness, explaining to Peter that forgiveness should extend far beyond when we think that we are done with someone. When you think that you have extended enough grace, extended enough mercy, Jesus says, no, I want you to take it another step. I want you to to learn to forgive. Uh, You don't necessarily have to trust again unless they go through the proper steps of rebuilding that trust, but you must forgive. You must extend grace. You must extend mercy. And so today I want to talk with you on the subject of tomorrow is not your past. How many of you are thankful that tomorrow is not your past? Amen? Amen. Have you heard of the phrase buyer's remorse? probably many people in this room have experienced buyer's remorse you know it's the feeling of regret that you get when you buy something and then you realize I probably should not have bought that and and maybe some of you right now you're dealing with some of that buyer's remorse you're thinking to yourself "I, I, I should not have done that maybe it was that TV you know you had to have that 60 inch TV I mean, there's no better way to watch March Madness than, than with a 60-inch TV, right? But but then you get that thing home only to realize that the TV is too big for the living room. And so now everybody in the house has a headache because you're all sitting on top of the TV. There's buyer's remorse that takes place there. Or maybe, maybe it was that new car that you just had to have. And when you walked onto the dealership parking lot, you didn't necessarily think, I have to have a new car today. But man, that car salesman was just so, so crazy. Kind to you, and he he just expressed to you the needs that you have in your life and how it is going. This car is going to make all those needs go away, and, and it, it was worth it as long as you have that new car smell. But for some reason, that new car smell wears off when you get that first car payment. And I don't know how it happens. I don't know how it works, but it does happen, man. As soon as you put that check in the mail or you pay that bill online, it, that new car smell just seems to go away. It's buyer's remorse, and we. All have it and we all hate it we hate buyers remorse I've experienced the opposite of buyers remorse in my own life and maybe you have too. I've had sellers remorse you know what I'm talking about when you get rid of something only to think man I wish I did not get rid of that if if I had not done that my life would be better And, and it's strange to me how often it correlates with buyers remorse because now that you're having to pay and make car payments on that new car, you're thinking to yourself, I shouldn't have got rid of my heap of junk because it was paid for, right? And so you've no doubt probably had at times seller's remorse and there's been a few times in my life that I sold items and within a few days I regretted selling them. Mandy and I first got married, I had a chocolate lab by the name of Joe. Many of you have heard stories about Joe. I've used Joe in in many, many sermon illustrations. Um, Probably you'll remember that this was the dog that I taught to pray before he would eat. And religiously, the dog would pray before he would eat. Um, and, And so you've heard those stories, and you probably think, man, Joe was just an awesome dog. But I'm just telling you, praying before he would eat was the only cool trick that Joe could do. That was it. All the other times, Joe was a moron. 95% 95% of the time, Joe was just a pain in my neck. I'm telling you, he barked all night long. Mandy, you remember this dog. He would bark all the time. And, and when we first got him, we had a kennel in the backyard, you know, like a, a six-foot chain link kennel. And, and then eventually we fenced in the backyard thinking that, that, you know, that that would help. But just giving him more room just meant that he could get closer to our bedroom window and bark all night long. And so he, he was just good at that, barking all night long. As a matter of fact, um. One time one of my neighbors came to me and he said, "Well, so and so that lives down the street from us, one of our other neighbors, he said the other night, man, he said I'm concerned. He said he came walking across your backyard in the middle of the night carrying a shotgun and I'm convinced he was going to kill your dog." That's serious business there, man. That means that dog is really getting on that man's nerves. And now you're separated from Joe. I get it because, you know, when you're sleep deprived, you'll do you know you'll make bad decisions and things like that so the guy just needed some peace and quiet and so he was coming across the yard but thank God one of my other neighbors saw him and he didn't shoot Joe but Joe man he was constantly digging holes and he he would get out of the fence and 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 I would have to go and and get Joe I would I'd had to ride around the neighborhood and 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 my little I had a little Ford Ranger at the time and I would ride around the neighborhood my little Ford Ranger with my window down and I, I would be yelling out the window things like Joe come home Joe, we love you. Mandy didn't mean it when she said she hated you. You know? It's not worth it, Joe, find your way back to me. And eventually I would see Joe and I would chase Joe and I would get him and I would put him in the back of my truck and really quick, I would get into my truck, I'd open the the sliding rear window and I would reach through and I would grab him by the collar and drive him back to the house so that he would not jump out. True story, would not let go of him so that he would not jump out until we got back to the house. And and, and he was just always getting out, always having to go and get him. Joe was an outside dog, never saw the inside of our house. And and we just thought to ourselves, it's just time to get rid of Joe. We were moving, and and it was just the right timing. I was finally going into ministry full-time, and, and life without Joe, we knew, was going to be the right decision. It was going to be a great decision. Now, shortly after that, I remember this feeling of seller's remorse. It came over me. And it's amazing how this works, because... I remember sitting there one night, and I'm thinking to myself, I wonder what Joe's doing. I wonder if they're praying with Joe. You know, when you have a sanctified and holy dog, it's harder all of my other dogs since then... I think they've got a little touch of the devil in them because they, none, of them, none of them are quite as holy as Joe was. And so I started, I started missing Joe. In my mind, I kind of wanted Joe back, but I had forgotten about how miserable I was when Joe was living with us and in today's text we're going to see how the Hebrews had had experienced a great deliverance from their bondage in Egypt but they continued to fight this strange pullback to that land of slavery it was an ongoing thing with them for years and for decades it was this ongoing struggle that that even though they had been delivered from slavery at times they still wanted to go back and their list of offenses it, 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 it was just long and, and, and during their duration in the wilderness They develop the seller's remorse, and they long for the chains of yesterday. And for us, we read it as a history book, and we're like, well, well, that's crazy. Why would they want that? Why would they do that? We watch how God delivered them at different times, and how God provided miracles for their lives. And we think, how could they see that and still want to go back to Egypt? Why would they want that in their lives? And you're going to find out today that maybe we're not quite as different uh, from them as we think that we are. In Exodus chapter 14, they desired the safety of Egypt. And this is the only time that I really get it. I'll be honest with you because they had just left Egypt. And, and they're standing at the Red Sea, and Pharaoh's army is coming up behind them. They've got the, the Red Sea in front of them, and so death is knocking on their door. And they're thinking to themselves, Man, we would have been better off as slaves in Egypt than to die right here. And so they desired the safety of Egypt. And Egypt, even though they were slaves, if they did their jobs, they were safe and they knew what to expect. Pharaoh may have been their, their taskmaster, but at least he wasn't trying to kill them. Now, he is in hot pursuit of Israel and he intends to put them to death. In Exodus chapter 16, Exodus chapter 17, and Numbers chapter 20, they desired the provisions of Egypt. Sure, they were slaves there. But they remember back and they they say to themselves we remember sitting around pots of meat. That's how they described Egypt. When it was time to have dinner, we sat around pots of meat. They, they remembered having plenty to drink. And if you think about it, of course they did. Because if your slave labor is weak, then they're not going to be strong enough to build anything for you. And the Egyptians were always using them to build monuments and pyramids and, and tombs and, and whatever it was. They were using them as slave labor. So of course you're going to feed them. Of course you're going to give them something to drink. In Exodus chapter 32, they desired. The worship of Egypt. They had been brainwashed and indoctrinated with the worship of false gods back in Egypt for hundreds of years. Moses disappears to the top of Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights. And the the, the children of Israel, the Hebrews, they convince Aaron, Moses' brother, to build them a golden calf out of the gold jewelry that they have because before they left Egypt, they had plundered Egypt, and they had taken some of the gold and some of the goods with them. Maybe that's why Pharaoh was in hot pursuit of them. Maybe he just wanted Mama's ring back or something. But but nevertheless, they, they, they're 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 there, and they're at the base of Mount Sinai, and and they they say, Aaron, we want to worship. We need to worship because they knew, according to to history books, we know that Aaron was was a priest that would lead people. In, in, in the worship of false gods, of, of Egyptian gods. And, and so they go to him and they're resorting back to their past. And this seems foreign to us, but, but they wanted to feel that spiritual high once again. Because when God is not moving the way that we want him to, we have this tendency to resort back to what makes us feel good. That's what we do. In Numbers chapter 21, they desired the stability of Egypt. Each day in Egypt was, was, to say the least, predictable. You know, when you're in slavery, when you're in bondage, it's pretty much predictable every day. As long as you are a good Hebrew, a good slave, then, then your life is going to be the same. It may have been a life of judger, drudgery and slavery, but at least they knew what to expect when the sun came up and when the sun went down. In their minds, the good of Egypt outweighed the bad. And you see, church, we experience this in our lives as believers. Even though we have been set free, there is still a a continuous pull back to the world and its distractions and all of the attractions that it has for us. You know, after the new car smell of our faith wears off, we, 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 we want to go back to the, the cravings and, and to the longings of our old lives. We long for the shackles of the past because with that comes some of the comforts of the past. And the enemy will play mind games with you and will get you to focus on what you're missing out on and not what you've been delivered from. Trust me when I tell you this. When the enemy starts bringing up your past, he's always going to remind you what you're missing out on. Always going to remind you of what you're missing out on Very seldom is he going to remind you of what you've been delivered from The Israelites quickly quickly forgot the weight of the burdens that they had while they were in Egypt How often have we heard people talk about the good old days? When life was simple man, if you've got a grandmother or grandfather there's no doubt you have heard about the good old days. And some of you, you're just an old soul. And so you've, you've talked about the good old days, but you know, you've, you've heard them talk about it. You've heard some of the old timers talk about the days when there were no smartphones. Man, some of them can reach back far enough to remember when there were no cell phones. And all of those that are under 25 years of age in the room right now, you're like, there was a time when there were no cell phones? What? They remember what it was like when every home did not own a computer. They remember what it was like when there was not all this entertainment at our fingertips and when families actually sat down and ate dinner together every night. And they talk about those good old days, but what they forget about is that there were things in life that weren't that great back then. It was just a different set of struggles is what it was. I mean, can you imagine living in a home with no AC? God forbid. What about no indoor plumbing? I mean, if you're going to talk about the good old days, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the days when you had to walk out the back door of your house. And I know we live in Florida. And if it gets anywhere near 30, 35 degrees, it is unbearable for us. And so we know, we know that it would be miserable to us to have to walk out of the back door at 35 degree weather in the middle of the night to go out to the outhouse to use the restroom because there's no indoor plumbing. Well, let me tell you, if you were to list all the pros and cons, honestly, give them the choice, some of those that think about the good old days, they wouldn't go back to those discomforts. They couldn't survive without the comforts of life that they have now. Now, you know, I've been guilty Of Praying that God would build people's faith by giving them miracles I've been guilty of that before I I, I know I've seen somebody in their struggle and I thought God if you can answer this prayer for them They're gonna believe in you forever And so I've been guilty of praying that way and I figured that if they could just see the benefits of God more clearly that they would Never ever want to go back to their personal Egypt But here's what I figured out miracles in themselves, do not produce faith. They just don't. I know that because of what the Hebrews had to go through and what they experienced. The Hebrews had seen the parting of the Red Sea. They walk across on dry ground, they get to the other side. Pharaoh's army is coming through, and God calls the wind back. The waters collapsed and drowned Pharaoh's army. They witnessed that. They saw their enemy defeated in that sea. When they were hungry, they watched as manna rained from heaven. Bread fell from heaven. When they got tired of the bread, they were blessed with quail. And they were thirsty. They watched as God supplied fresh water from a rock. All Moses had to do was just hit the rock, and water came forth. You would think that those miracles alone would be enough to keep their minds off of Egypt and, and what they left behind. You would think that would be enough. You would think that their faith would just be soaring, and their belief, and their maker, their belief, and their God would be overwhelming to them. But miracles in themselves do not produce faith. Faith trusts God even when there are no miracles. Because if you had to go through life every day receiving a miracle in order for you to trust in God, it it wouldn't be faith. It wouldn't be faith at all. Faith is is when you can't see it. Faith is when it, it, it just seems like it's not evident, that it's not there. But yet you say, I still believe even though I can't see it. And so we know that God doesn't use miracles to produce faith. And his believers. And so they had left the hardships of Egypt where they were slave laborers. And a couple of months later, they find themselves standing at the threshold of the promised land. The land that God had promised them had promised their forefathers. They are standing there, and as they are waiting, Moses sends in 12 spies. Many of you know the story, and, and they send in 12 spies to check out the land. I'm gonna be reading from Numbers chapter 14 in just a moment, so if you wanna go ahead and turn to Numbers 14, you can. but. When Moses sends in those 12 spies, 10 of those spies come back and they give a negative report. Two of the spies, young men by the name of Joshua and Caleb, they come back and they give a positive report and they say, we can trust the word of our Lord. He has given us this land that is flowing with milk and honey and we can go in, we can take the inhabitants of this land. If this is the land God has given us, let's go and let's do this thing. But 10 of those spies came back And said, yes, it's true. It is a land that flows with milk and honey. It's a rich land. Our crops could flourish there. However, the people that inhabit this land are too big for us. No matter what God had told them, no matter what God had said to them, no matter what he had promised, these people were too big for them. In their eyes, they said, we look like grasshoppers, over-exaggerating. We look like grasshoppers compared to them. So Numbers 14, we hear the decision of the people. As you begin to hear them complain, they side with the majority, with the 10 that say, we can't do this, and fear overtakes them. And listen to what it says in Numbers 14, verses 1 through 4. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. And at that moment, church, God shuts the door to the promised land for them. He does send them back in the direction of Egypt. And for 40 years, they wander out in the wilderness. For 40 years, God has to let a generation die off of of doubt, of unbelief before they will ever get back to the threshold of that promised land. You see, here's the problem. The Hebrews were out of Egypt, but Egypt was not out of them. And this happens with with some Christ followers also. We've been forgiven. We have been delivered. But but what happens is that we've come out of our Egypt, but there's still little bits and pieces of Egypt that are inside of us. It's been indoctrinated into our lives. And for years and years and years, we lived one way, and, and it's hard for us to walk away from that. And after all they had witnessed, after all they had seen, they still wanted to go back. After all of the miracles that God provided for them, they still wanted to go back to Egypt. It's like an abused wife that can't leave her abuser. They craved Egypt. They needed it in their lives. If you want a better tomorrow, you cannot crave the pleasures of the past. The enemy will only remind you of the pleasures, not the pain. The enemy of your soul will remind you of, of how great certain aspects of your life were. But he's not going to remind you about the pain that some of those things in your life that you wanted so bad, that you needed so bad, he's not going to remind you of those hardships that, that were produced because of those cravings. Sure, your Friday nights now may be a little bit more lonely than they were then. There was company in the past, but how many of you know misery loves company, right? That substance may have helped you forget about your problems, but it also made you forget about your priorities that busy schedule, it may have produced more money for your home, but your family never got to see you and you never got to see them. The enemy reminds you of what he wants you to see, but he will never let you see the side effects. The pleasure of your past will scream for your attention, but you must not fall victim to seller's remorse. 40 years later, after that generation had died off, the children of Israel once again find themselves standing at the entrance to the promised land, and it's a new generation. It's a generation of of believers, of ones that that actually believe they can go in and they can take these people. But here's what bothers me, and please don't miss this because I'm almost done, but I want you to get this so bad. What bothers me is that this group of believers should have been born in that land. It was theirs. What bothers me is that they should have been raised on that land. They should have been worshiping their God, their deliverer on that land. And there was time that was lost that could never be replaced. Because of their parents' addiction to the past, they lived in the wilderness. Man, we must not let our kids be punished for our cravings of the past. We can't. Parents, grandparents... Do not let your children and your children's children be punished because of your cravings for the past. Realize that everything that we do right now is setting the tone for how they will live their lives. The decision to break a generational curse in your home will affect your children for a curse that they were never meant to deal with. You have the power and the ability to walk away from that past and never look back. Man, maybe, maybe you're like me and you do have a past. Maybe there are some things that you did and, and you just wonder, man, will I ever be free? Will I ever get away from it? Many of God's chosen had failures that they had to leave in the past. Abraham didn't take God at his word at first, didn't believe that he and Sarah could have a child of their own. Didn't trust God, didn't have that faith. And without faith, we know it's impossible to please God. We know Isaac lied. We know Jacob deceived and took advantage of others. Moses was a murderer. Rahab was a prostitute. David committed adultery and then had her husband murdered. Uh, Elijah doubted. Peter denied Christ three times. Paul aided in the killing of Christians. They all had this past. But God doesn't consult your past to determine your tomorrow so why do you why do you why do you look to the past and some of the pleasures of the past to make decisions about tomorrow because god's not looking back god's not looking at your past and determining how you will be used in the kingdom no god's looking at your life and he sees great and mighty things that he can do with your life Maybe it is a testimony about your past, but God is not going to save your soul and make you return back to the pleasures that are going to produce pain for your life. Yesterday, good or bad, it's history. And tomorrow is this dream. Don't let your history destroy your dream. Just don't. That word dream, it it means so much to us around here. What we're going to do out on that 20 acres of land out there, it's a dream to us. And every day we're getting closer and closer to that dream. But church, let's never let the past and our history hinder what God wants to do with our dream. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The prophet Isaiah said in chapter 43, verses 18 and 19, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. There's a promise of a future for us. A promise that if we will not return back to our Egypt, if we'll forget the pleasures of sin and we'll forget the pleasures of our past, God is going to give us a hope and a future. Your past has potentially indoctrinated you. And you might be addicted to your misery and you don't even know it. Addicted to your troubles and nobody's ever told you that addicted to your insecurities Well, let me tell you something if you still have the same insecurities at 30 years old as you did when you were 20 then Egypt is still in you if you have the same Cravings at 50 that you did at 25 then Egypt is still stuck in you and Stepping into your blessed future requires getting Egypt out of you And that's the only way that tomorrow is not your past because you can't flirt with the past and walk into your tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. We pray you have been blessed by today's message. We would love to meet you in person. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org or call the church office at 352-472-3284. Thanks again for listening. Destiny Community Church. For life's journey.